you? I am Michelle Gifford. Hey, I'm Sarah Allred. We are the girls behind Women With Fire, and we specialize in building influencers. Welcome to the podcast. Listen as we chat with influential women who feel guided by the divine to build empires of truth at home, in business, and abroad. The goal here is to empower you to grow your influence everywhere. Join the nation of women who get things done at thewomenwithfire.com. Hey you, welcome back to the Women With Fire podcast. Today is a wonderful day as we get to travel to the wonderful world of Hawaii. Who could we possibly have on the podcast today? Someone who has a really marvelous message, who has been through some mega experiences, both awesome and motivating and others heartbreaking. And I I have wanted to interview this wonderful woman, Natalie Norton, for over a year. Um, I discovered her years ago, if I dare say years ago, and have been so inspired by her. She's a mom. She is a killer photographer, which is right up my alley. But more than anything, this girl is rock solid and has a message to share. And so like, here we go. Like she is here today. Um, We are talking from Hawaii five hours apart and this magically happened. So Natalie, I'm so glad you're here. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me. And I apologize. My dog is a little bit noisy in the background. I'm wondering if I should go take care of it. We hear that there's a cat somewhere nearby. You tell me. I can go and figure out what's going on or we can just move forward. I think we can move forward. Our listeners are used to kids coming in and all sorts of really great things. So real deal, right? (laughs) Plow ahead. All right. Marvelous. So Natalie, the way that I got introduced to you was all about photography, right? So that's kind of yeah. that's kind of my gig. And I thought, ooh, this is someone that I want to pop up in my feed. And then lo and behold, you, you were doing much more than just photography. Tell me how your whole world in photography started and how that has shifted a little bit now into more of a message of, of family and raising kids and challenges and victories. Like how has the shift happened? Um, so photography was something that really stepped into my life around the time that I had my first son, Raleigh, that was in 2003. But at the time I wasn't shooting professionally at all. It was just something that I kind of did as a hobbyist. And then like so many others in entrepreneurialism, specifically photography, little by little word of mouth and friends of friends of friends of friends. And it kind of snowballs into something. And by 2007, I was shooting pretty much I wouldn't say full-time, but I would say as full-time as I could, having three young sons. In 2007, my brother passed away unexpectedly, and that really was a catalyst for a lot of growth, both within the professional realm and within the spiritual realm. Suddenly, the work that I was doing felt so much more significant, and I think that that's just inherent when you suddenly come to terms with the idea of your mortality and how... Life isn't just this thing that will go on forever and ever and ever here on this earth. And suddenly the work that I was doing felt so important and I really threw myself at it. And I think that that the desperation that I felt in the grief combined with the stage of life that I was in, you know, we were, we were young parents, we were trying to get stuff figured out financially. And I think that both of those things kind of converged into, um, 
me really growing that business into something really successful quite quickly. And um, it was really, it was really fulfilling. And I've sort of stepped away from that, as you mentioned, at this point in my life. But for a solid decade, it was, it was my main gig. So what, what was it that made you want to move forward with picture taking when your brother passed away versus like, I just want to slow down and focus in and you know how you Mm -hmm. kind of are are placed with the decision there on on how you're going to handle a life event like that like is that just how you are you have you always been like a real kind of go-getter and let's make something of this or was that your coping mechanism or what would you say I think it was a combination of all of those things. I think that now looking back, if I were to approach that period of time again, I might do it a little bit differently because I definitely do think that it was a survival mechanism in a lot of ways to really have something to invest myself in fully, to focus myself. Um, And I do think that in a lot of ways, I was able to sort of um, compartmentalize the grief part of my life from the other part of my life. And I think that photography helped me a lot with that. And I don't know that that was the healthiest choice in the long run, but live and learn. I had no context before this. You know, I'd lost people before, but never anybody this close. He was my only sibling, my best friend. He lived with us for approximately five years on and off um, before the time of his death. And so it was just very, very rattling um, for me. And I think that having something to plant myself in really served me. So I guess, to be totally honest, if I were to go back and do it again, I don't know that I would do it differently, but I can definitely see the ways that I could have now in retrospect. So why would you say it probably wasn't the healthiest of choices? That's so interesting that you say that to me, because I'm like, gosh, I think that would be the best way it would be to go and help families capture their awesomeness and all this stuff. But why not the healthiest of ways for you? Well, I think that any time that you can you can assign purpose to something that's hard, it is going to bless you and it is going to make it easier for you because you have a place to invest yourself, to invest your time, to invest your energy. Um, you have a mechanism through which to process grief. However, we live in a day and age where we really struggle to actually experience our feelings, um, specifically feelings of discomfort. We've been so programmed and so conditioned to seek for these things that feel good, to seek for things that feel empowering, to seek for things that make us feel accomplished and um, that make us feel courageous and that make us feel strong, that often when these other parts of human existence rear their heads, the parts that, that equate with discouragement or deep grief or trauma or pain, we tend to try not to experience those. And so I think that what I was doing at that time was finding a way to do and be and work and keep my head down so that I didn't have to directly confront the, the pain and the grief that I was in. So that is where you feel like you were missing the boat, is, is the inability to, to experience that grief in a way that you feel like was healthy. And, and I know that if you do, by the way, if you don't know who Natalie Norton is, like find her on Instagram, you need to find her and you need to hear more about her story because Natalie, this is not the 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 first and last loss for you mm, and, yeah. and tragedy and and challenges I mean I've seen it I've seen it through the eyes of you and your husband and your kids and and all those things um, one of the things that really comes into my mind as you talk about the you know our inability in this day and age to feel those feelings makes me think of your boys mm-hmm. boys don't cry right I mean that yeah. that's kind of the push like what have you done as a mom to help teach them to feel um, well, 
I would have to sort of jump ahead to answer that because when my brother died, they were aware, but they were still quite young. And so that emotional processing was different. It's different for a very young child because they haven't yet stepped into that cultural conditioning, right? Um, of boys don't cry and boys are strong and boys buck up. And, you know, that, that wasn't yet a part of their consciousness. And so when my brother passed away, I think that their processing was, was very healthy based on their age and um, their level of awareness. But a couple of years later, when I gave birth to my fourth son, and two months later, he passed away, he, he contracted pertussis or whooping cough, and he was in the hospital for a couple of weeks and died at the end of that battle. And the kids were at that point a little bit older, and the processing needed to be different. And so I remember very specifically, when I told my oldest son about his brother having passed away, I remember being so afraid of that conversation. I remember just dreading it and knowing that I was about to just crush his world because he had been the most affected by the death of his uncle because he was the oldest and because they had the closest and longest relationship. And he was at such a formative age and it just, it really horrified me. And I remember just praying and saying, God, this is something that is outside of my capacity. On my own, I have no concept of how I manage this, but I know that you know me perfectly, that you know my son perfectly, and that there is a bridge through this impossible thing, and the only way that I can find it is hand-in-hand hand with you. And both my husband and I just prayed and prayed that same, that same, along those same lines. And when we finally sat down and had that conversation, it was actually a couple of days after our son had died because... Um, he was in a hospital out of state. We'd been traveling, but I don't need to go into all of that because it's irrelevant. But when we finally sat down with him, the anticipation had been so great that I was so afraid of the conversation. But when it actually began, it was so beautiful. And I just told him he was allowed to feel whatever he felt. That if he was happy, he was allowed to be happy. That if he was sad, he was allowed to be sad. That if he was angry, he was allowed to be angry. I listed every emotion. I also told him that no question was off limits. If he wondered about anything, we could talk about it at any time. And I think that just giving that permission and that space, that nothing was off limits, I think that that allowed him to naturally process that grief. Because... I think that we have a natural capacity through a lot of things that are an inherent part of mortal existence. But I think, again, through the conditioning of culture and social conditioning and even church conditioning in the different congregations that we attend, um, we pick up on all these different ways of being and silence that inherent part of ourselves. And I think that maybe what we did the very best for our boys was help them to listen to and trust that inherent part of them that knew how to walk through this hard thing. So let's just like close off the podcast because this is stellar. This is absolutely <laughs> stellar. And there's nothing, there's nothing unreal about what you're saying. Like this isn't philosophical. This is, this is you. Like these were your experiences. I would imagine you, you were not at home when mm -hmm. this was your your fourth if i'm remembering correct yes it was your yeah. fourth you were not at home and what what were you going through those two weeks in the hospital what was happening well we had been traveling for christmas and it was just three days after christmas that i really was worried about him and so i took him to the hospital and they told us initially that it was just rsv and that it would be you know a few days and it would be it would be tricky but that he would be fine and um, so my husband and the boys actually flew back home to Hawaii. So I was by myself in the hospital 
hospital for for most of that time. My husband did fly in right at the end when we realized how serious the situation was, and he got there about probably 12 hours before before Gavin passed away, and so he was able to be there with me. But uh, I really want to answer this honestly. I definitely felt carried. I definitely felt lifted. I also think I was in a very significant state of denial. Um, I think that I did not, my psyche did not have the capacity to process just how ill my son was. And so I think that I threw all of my energy into faith. We just have to have faith. And if we have all the faith in the world, we've been worthy, we make good choices, we do everything that we know, quote unquote, we're supposed to do. And so in my mind, it was like the formula. And A plus B equals C. And so in my mind, if I could just focus on the faith and leave no room for anything else, of course, our son would live. Of course, A plus B would equal C. And so during the time in the hospital, it was hard. It was exhausting. It was was traumatic. And I was so focused on faith that it wasn't impossible. I was very much carried. But then you have the other side of that where A plus B doesn't equal C. And that was when things got really hard. So what, now that, I mean, hindsight is you're going back to those moments that are so raw and we, I'm, I'm personally so appreciative that you're willing to share this. And I find it no mistake that when we talk to people about interviewing you, they wanted to know how, Mm. how is it possible to live through even one of these events um, that like you have experienced. Um, so what A plus B equals C, if that is not faith, what is faith to you now? Oh, that is a tough question to answer really honestly. It's gone left and right and up and down ever since these experiences. And this is such an odd thing to say, especially to this audience, but I'm going to say it because it's the most genuine answer that I can give. There is this idea that is quite philosophical, but the idea is if you want to know God, you have to kill God. Now, I know that sounds horrifying. Let me explain. The idea is that in order to really know our Father in Heaven, we have to be willing to let go of any concept we have about who God is so that we can have direct experience with God. And it's interesting because at this point in my journey, you know, if we'd done this interview a month ago or a year ago or two years ago, each time it would have been different because once these doors open, you're in a whole new world, right? I I will never experience the world in the same way. And I'm now in this whole new space and it's going to continue transitioning and changing, right? And so where I'm at right now is starting to understand this new way of experiencing our Father in Heaven and this new way of coming to know God. Whereas before, I, I studied and I read and I, I did and I still do those things, but not at the expense of the direct personal relationship. I was listening to something recently that was talking about the idea of mysticism. And I think that that is something that I think a lot of Christians, that word, it just it makes us nervous, right? Like, oh, you know, what are we going to talk about? Like magic. I'm kind of nervous right now. Natalie, I'm kind of nervous. I know. You, you should it. be. I'm a- I'm a wild card, man. I'm, I'm always going to keep you on your toes. But the idea is that a mystic doesn't rely on the things they read or the things they hear to know God solely. A mystic is someone who is willing to have direct experience and who is seeking direct experience. And I'm just going to dive all the way in and talk about this from the perspective of 
the LDS church, because I know a lot of your listeners are LDS. And, you know, we think of Joseph Smith and him going to God. He had the Bible. He read, he studied, he listened to the leaders that he had around him, and he still sought that direct experience. And I think that where I'm at right now is realizing that faith is, yes, listening to all these things we've been told, but if if the things we've been told fall short, then where are we? A plus B right? equals C. Where exactly. are we when that's exactly. not it? And when A plus B doesn't equal C, then what? And so I had to look at my faith differently. And people will say, oh, you know, and then we have this great caveat that says, but then God's will. And ultimately, it's whatever God's will is, right? But then then the thinking, I'm going to be really honest with you, is, well, then what's the point of praying? If no matter what, God's going to do his will, then why do we even ask for things? And we could go a million different directions, and we could talk about this, and we could loop around and around and around in this cyclical conversation about it. But for me, the place that I eventually came to was realizing that everything everyone said was true and everything everyone said was not true. And it was all going to be different depending on the situation. And there was going to be no concrete reliability whatsoever because everything's always changing and because there's so many variables at play. And so for me, being willing to open myself up more completely to that direct relationship with God and that perfect trust in that intimate connection, not needing to access God through a million different channels or a million different people or a million different texts, but to know that at any moment in that quiet space behind my eyes, I can directly communicate with that light, that God, that divine energy that is within me, our our Father in heaven, the Savior, Jesus Christ. That really is what faith eventually became to me, and that's what has sustained me. So I can totally hang on to the idea of a mystic now. Thanks to you. Yeah. So you have <laughs> greatly calmed my nerves <laughs> that way. Well, I really do think that at the at the heart of it all, there is probably no more mystical religion than Mormonism. If you look at it and look at the history and the things that we claim have happened, they are mystical, if nothing else. And so why do we think that that's this one little solitary moment in the history of our lives? Why is that not also accessible to us, that same connection, that same ability to to directly experience God? Well, and I think in our most recent general conference, we have a new prophet. For those of you who are not LDS listening, President Russell M. Nelson, his main talk was about our absolute necessity to connect and, and have a relationship with our Heavenly Father. I mean, he talked mm-hmm. about that absolute necessity. So, oh, go. Do you have something? No, I just have the perfect analogy. So let's say, the, and this is really the best analogy for my specific situation. Um, every mother out there has read a book at some point when they were pregnant or when they were looking to conceive about how to best prepare for childbirth, right? We get that we have these expectations about how it's going to go. They give us maybe five or six or 10 different variables. But have you ever in your life met a mother who said, oh, yes, I was completely prepared for childbirth. They told me exactly what would happen. It went exactly the way they said that it would. Of course not. The only way to truly understand childbirth is to give birth to a child. And I think that that is maybe the best analogy there is that the best way for us to know God is to seek God and know God, not just to read about God, but to seek him and know him in our own lives. So what does seeking God look like to you when some who are listening may feel that seeking God is by reading 
and is by morning and evening prayers and family prayers and over meal prayers like yes. how can they better like what if they're sitting here saying well cool Natalie like I want those experiences I yeah. want those experiences with the divine how there's space for all of the things. I think that that's what we have to remember. We we want things to be mutually exclusive, right? We want someone to say this and not that. But the reality is, if we really believe that God is in all things, and I think that most Christians do believe this, we believe, and most religious people, honestly, people who believe in God tend to believe that that light energy, that God energy is in all things because all things were created by God. And I think that the very first thing that we do is, yes, we seek through through study and through prayer. We absolutely do. Those are habitual ways to make sure that the structure of our lives supports our spirituality. But it's not just about the structure of our lives. It's about embodiment. Because how often do we get into the groove of life and we're doing the scriptures and we're doing the prayers and we're serving others and we're showing up for our lives in all these very specific bullet point ways and yet we're not feeling an increase in spirit and yet we're not feeling more intimately connected to God. Then what? Right? Because those things will fall short at some point, whether it's just in the day in, day out monotony or whether it's in a severe trauma or a severe lapse of of judgment or difficulty or it, it will happen. And at that point, then where are we? There's something that I really, really try to live by. And this has blessed me in perhaps more ways than anything else. I mean, I could sit here and list for you the things that I do every day, and I'm happy to do that. Things like meditation and exercise and spending time in nature and just the specific ways that I work to make sure that my spirit is receiving the sustenance that it needs. But in terms of the driving force, the thing that helps me remain on that course, because it's easy to forget, right? It's easy to, to get off course because there's 97,000 things going on at any given moment of any given day, especially for women, especially for mothers, especially for mother women entrepreneurs, right? Like you put all this together and I don't know how any of us like even put our pants on in the morning. Like there's 75 other things in our minds at the same time. It's a miracle that we even get dressed. But what I tell myself is, Every moment of my life, I have a choice to expand or to contract. And in my mind, expansion is opening myself up to light, opening myself up to God, allowing my spirit space to grow, allowing my spirit space to reach out, to expand, or I have an opportunity to contract, to hide my spirit, to to dull it down, to be afraid, to be meek. And I don't mean meek in like the positive way, because of course, meekness can also be expansion, of course. I mean more in the sense of, I hate using the word coward, cowardice, but that's the best word I can come up to, come up with right now. But if I approach my life, having that as sort of my mantra, expansion or contraction, I find that my capacity to show up from a space that allows God to co-inhabit my life or cohabit my life with me increases because I'm consciously aware of that at all times. And this is going to sound so minute after that wonderful idea that you've shared with us. Is that how you approach um, what you share on on your platforms, on, on Instagram specifically, yes. is how can I expand? Absolutely. And how can I ensure that I'm giving others permission to expand as well. And something else that I really try to be aware of on social media is expanding in a way that offers an invitation, not in a way that belittles anything else. Um, I think a lot of times 
people look at expansion expansion as a hierarchical kind of thing. Like I'm trying to be better and better and better and come up and up and up. And for me, it's more of it's more linear. It's more broad. It's more like the difference between climbing a ladder and opening your arms to let people in and to make space for. And that's a very, very, very conscious decision that I have made. I don't ever want to grow at the expense of creating any kind of an energy or an environment in which people do not feel as though they fit, where people do not feel welcome, where people do not feel empowered, where people do not feel as though they are directly in touch with God because all of us are, right? I don't want ever to seem as though I'm moving in a direction that makes less space for someone else. It's really hard to articulate, but it's a very, very significant part of my commitment in all of social sharing. So could you even give us an example of maybe a way you would never do it or ways and think in ways that you could, you know, invite people to participate or grow or something that aren't in line with making people feel included and like they have space? Because I mean, we love talking with entrepreneurs on this podcast about what's your why and your mantra and all these things. And I love this. I absolutely love this. So what are little signals that oh. okay, this is not pro- this is probably not the way to include people um, on your social media platform? Because I, I have no doubt that we've got uh, entrepreneurs listening who are wanting to grow and are and are wanting to invite people to the same opportunities you're trying to invite them to. But give them give them some guidelines. Like how okay. do you make it more inclusive? <clears throat> okay, so we could devote an entire series of podcast interviews to this specific that will come in topic. season four, right? <laughs> okay. Social media with Natalie Norton. However, I'm just going to tell a story because I think that this will best illustrate the way that I have really tried to do it. We mentioned my photography career. And just for those of your listeners who are not aware, now I do a lot more coaching, consulting, and speaking. But I still do shoot on occasion. But the photography business is where I got my, got my, my sea legs as far as entrepreneurialism is concerned. It was at a time when a lot of people were just being introduced to social media. I mean, blogging was brand new. It was a whole new world. And it was the wild, wild west in many ways. And what we started to see was a lot of, look at me, look at this, look how awesome. And, you know, we, we've heard this so much now, the idea of the highlight reel. And that felt so disingenuous to me. And to the point where it honestly made me feel ill at times. I, I had such a hard time. And I would go back and forth because I would think, no, this is marketing. This is strategy. We show the best of what we do. And specifically, as it related to photography, I would think, no, I need to show what I want to shoot more of. And I need to put my best foot forward. And I need to make sure that I am presenting myself in the kind of way that I need to present myself in to make sure that my clients know that they can trust me, so that my clients want to hire me, they want to work with me. And that idea of professionalism came into play a lot. And that's awesome. However, that creates a separation because then you've got the professional and the audience, right? And I realized over time that it wasn't working for me. Yes, I had a lot of business, but it felt cold. It felt mechanical. And it was really honestly probably around the time that my son died and and, and a little bit before that because I I was going through hard things before that too. And I was open about my grief always with my brother. But 
what started to happen was I started to realize I couldn't play at that level in a sustainable way because at some point it always felt as though I was leaving out a huge part of who I was. So I felt like I was living this kind of lopsided life that did not feel like a fair representation of my, my world, specifically as a mother dealing with small children, financial struggles. I just, I felt as though what I was representing myself as and what was actually real were not aligned. And that made me feel foundationally out of integrity. And so I started to share more and more about the realities of being a mom and having a business that was that that struggled and how and how my grief played into all of that and really just stepping into my humanity. Now here's what happened. Very quickly, I rose from being one of the photographers in a pretty large pool of photographers in my community to being the very most sought after. And I charged substantially more, double or triple what other photographers in my area were charging. And I was constantly booked. And I noticed that what had happened was I had taken away that professional and audience separation, right? The professional and the, and the customer. And we were all just humans. And no longer did people want to hire me because I was a photographer that was available, that was, it was within their price range you know, when they were going to be in my area. Now it was, what do I do to work with Natalie Norton? And I don't care how much I have to pay and I don't care where I need to fly her and I don't care where I need to fly myself. I am committed to working with Natalie because they feel connected to me, right? They're buying into me as a human, not just into this business or not just into this service that I provide. And that shift for me was so significant and it really propelled my business in such significant ways. And more importantly, I felt like I was within integrity. I felt like I was saying to people, look, this is not going to be perfect because it's not supposed to be, but I'm going to do my best. And if I make mistakes, I'm going to own up to them and I'm going to show up with my whole soul. And you're going to know when you work with me that you get all of me. And in a service culture, what greater, what could you, what could you put more value on than that? Right? And so if we take that and we then convert it to our social media sharing, it's just a matter of showing up and being a human and caring as much about the growth and development as other people as you do about your own, saying, here's where I am, and I know a lot of you are probably there too, and we're okay. You're okay, I'm okay, and we're in it together. Ultimately, what I'm telling myself and what I would tell you is there's space for you at the table. My table always has space for you. And I think that if we approach social sharing from that space, there is an inherent shift and we don't have to have to lay it out step by step. There's just a shift in the energy and a shift in the focus. So I know that you say that you were kind of at the beginning of all this, the beginning of blogging when all this was going on and, oh, this is marketing and whatever. But you do know that what you just said is really odd, right? <laughs> I I don't know that it is. I mean, let me be really honest. Like I'm seeing more and more of this in social sharing. I really am. There's a lot of things that are happening that I think, man, this works. And I was doing this, you know, inherently, it was just, it was logical to me. It, it, it just, for lack of a better word, it jived with me. But the problem is that now I'm seeing people do it in a way that it's a little bit more, um, constructed rather than inherent, which there's nothing necessarily wrong with that. I mean, I mean, it's good no matter what, but I'm seeing it more lately as a way that people know that it works. And so now it's become a marketing strategy rather than a way of being right. And there's, it's not, it's still better than the alternative, certainly, 
But I am seeing more and more of it across the board. And it's encouraging. Even the parts that don't feel as genuine and sincere. The example would be, you know, we all know that posting images like of women and talking like in a swimming suit, for example, and talking about body love, that that is going to get better engagement than other posts. I mean, we just know that because we're seeing it happening because our statistics are showing us that, right? And so what's happening is more and more people are showing pictures of themselves like that, not necessarily because they want to create inclusion, but because they want their statistics to change, right? And so that it's not necessarily bad. It's still a good thing, but it's so much better if we're just moving from what's real inside of us, not just from all this other stuff that we're seeing work, right? Is that making sense? It makes total sense. And it goes full circle to what you said, you know, a couple of minutes ago about that it shouldn't feel exhausting. Exactly. And it shouldn't feel contrived. Yes, that there shouldn't have to be this big plan. I mean, you can be, you know, there's so smart ways in how you can say things to be inclusive and those kinds of things. But does it feel natural to you? Is it something you can sustain? Because it really is you. I think it's brilliant advice. Brilliant. Is it truth really is what it comes down to? Is this true? Or is this a representation of truth that is not really truth? Is this smoke and mirrors? And I think that if we can sit in truth, we're always going to be sitting in the right place. And it's just kind of brilliant that you were able to kind of foresee that way before, you know, it became maybe the new the new marketing strategy <laughs> of the nowadays, but that you were able to kind of see through it and say, I can't do this long term. Like, mm. let's just in it together. And there you got hired and, and all the, yeah. you know. Well, the- it's a good thing. It's a good thing I did because I don't think I would have stayed in business without it. I think I would have burned out really quickly. I don't think I would have lasted. So it, it was... The, the major blessing. Love it. Love <laughs> yeah. it. And now a small break. A word from those who make this podcast possible. This podcast is powered by Entreport. Entreport is our number one business tool. It literally does it all email marketing, sales funnels, automation, and it basically keeps your business running even when you're sleeping. Not only is Entreport the backbone of our businesses, but you can design a full-blown website using their customizable landing pages. It is the one-stop powerhouse shop where we keep our email lists, growth, marketing goals, and businesses at their very best. Check out the show notes or jump on thewomenwithfire.com slash Entreport to get started. And now back to the Women With Fire podcast. So so this, here you are, you've now got this booming business and you've, you know, figured all this stuff out and you continue to talk about, you know, is this truth and finding a way to increase God in your life. You've shared about your brother, you've shared about your little, um, your sweet little baby that had pertussis and the experiences that you had there. You had something happen about a year ago. Actually, mm-hmm. right. I had reached out to you. What was it like a month, maybe even a couple of weeks before it happened? I don't know. Um, happened with your little boy there in Hawaii. Can you tell us a little bit about mm-hmm. what happened and what again did you learn about um, grief and the experiences? And especially the the question of the day from our readers was: At what point do you do you not say that you're feeling picked on by God? 
<laughs> the interesting thing is that I, I actually don't remember. I mean, I remember connecting with you at some point, but I didn't remember when. And as you were doing all that lead up to get me onto the timeline with you, I thought you were talking about when we when our adoption failed. Um, because in between the event that you're referring to and our son passing away, we fostered to adopt twins who were one and their big sister who was seven. They were in our home for two years and then unexpectedly were reunified with their biological mother after, again, two years of uninterrupted custody. And so that's what I thought you were referring to. That happened just about two years ago. I've got um, I've got my timeline all messed up, Natalie. Well, I, I have all- my, I mean, I did too. Like I, I'd forgotten even about Lincoln, what the thing that you were referring to, which to take your listeners off edge, because I know you're so excited to hear about all the details of my life. <laughs> um, back in July of 2017, so this last July, my 10-year-old son was crossing the street near our home, and he was struck by a distracted driver. And um, he was in the intensive care unit for um, a couple of weeks and in the hospital for a month and on recovery for many months after that, still has quite a bit of facial scarring and requires more reconstructive surgery on his face as as he gets older. So yeah, both of those things have happened then since our son had passed away. But now I'm like, well, I don't even remember what the question was. <laughs> At what point are you not saying that you're you're getting picked on a little bit? Like you're, you're asking for experiences with deity, but these are not the experiences we're because nobody's going to ask for them now, Natalie, if this is yeah, what's going to happen. Right. I know. But here's the thing. I don't think that I think this is a, an Irish proverb and I'm not going to say it right. But the idea is what is for ye will not pass ye by. And I think that whether I was seeking God or whether I wasn't, my life, it, not that I think that everything is just going to happen no matter what, but I, I think that a lot of things are going to happen no matter what. You know, I mean, I don't, I don't necessarily think that if I was seeking God, I'm making things happen, or if I'm not seeking God, I'm making things happen. I just think that life is a mortal experience in a fallen world and things are going to happen. So if they're going to happen no matter what, I certainly hope that I'm seeking God. And I certainly hope that I'm in a place where I'm prepared so that I turn in the right direction, that I expand through these hard things rather than contract. And the idea of being picked on, I mean, let me be really honest. I do feel that way sometimes. I'll be very, very transparent there. I think that that is human. And again, going back to the idea of conditioning, I think that that is a conditioned response. I mean, even think when you're a little kid, that's not fair, mom. You know, I mean, we, from when we are tiny, are looking for justice. We are looking for things to be fair. And one of the hardest lessons to learn in adult life is that it will not be fair. But that's okay because it was never meant to be. It's not, it's not you being picked on. It's just the cards falling as they may. And that's really challenging. But learning that it's not, I don't think that God made a million hard things happen to me because he loves me more than someone else. I don't believe that either. I think that God loves all of his children equally. I think that that love is inherent. I think that it is unchanging. I think that it is something that comes with that divine DNA that is within each of us, that spiritual DNA that makes up who we are. We cannot escape that love. We cannot alter it in any way. And so because all these things, these hard things have happened to me, I don't believe I'm being punished. I also don't believe it's evidence of God's greater love or trust in me. I think that life just happens. Now, yes, maybe some of these things were allowed to happen for specific reasons, but I think that when I stopped trying to take everything so personal, And when I started to just realize this is just human experience, it was a lot easier to feel less picked on. 
it was a lot easier to just reach out and hold my father's hand and say, okay, here we are. What next? So powerful. It's so powerful. And part of my whole chest is just aching right now because I feel like I could get to that point of saying that, like that is the human experience. This is what I'm experiencing, you know, if it was happening to me, but how, how do you get there when it's your kid? Or it's your baby, or it's these foster kids, you know, adopted that you're having to to pass back. You know, I remember reading when you're talking about your son that was in the ICU and you just wished that you could trade places. Oh, yeah. You know, and that is where I ate because I'm like, give me anything. Give me anything. Yeah. But my kid yeah, would break um, me. It's interesting that you bring that up because Lincoln just um, yesterday came home from school and some kids have been teasing him about his facial scarring um, from the accident. And it does, it makes you hurt. You just want to protect them from anything that's hard. But if we truly love our children, we have to look at our own lives and say, where did I grow the most? Where did I learn the most? What are the things I'm most proud of? And how did these things become a part of my life? And I guarantee you that the answer to every single one of those questions will be, through hardship, through trial, through difficulty, through challenge. And if we take all those things away from our children, they will never become who they have the capacity to become. And so, yeah, it is really hard. It is much easier to stand up and say, I've got it. I'll put my head down and I'll live and I'll survive and I can do this. And it's a lot harder to watch that obliteration come for the people that we love. And for me, even just strangers who reach out to me consistently because of my experiences, they're experiencing similar things with, you know, accidents or the death of a child or the death of a sibling or all kinds of difficult things. And realizing the extent of human suffering in the world can be crushing for me. I think that I am naturally an empath. And I think that it is very difficult for me um, not to go directly into the space of every person's pain at all times. I am so keyed into feeling what people feel and really diving in there. Um, and I've had to really learn to trust what I believe, which is that these hard things, if we approach them hand in hand with God, have the capacity to become our greatest blessings. I don't think that they are inherently our greatest blessings because they can be very destructive. But however we show up for them and choose to move forward determines whether these things bless us and help us grow or not. But the reality is, and the tough love portion of this conversation is, they're happening anyway. No matter what, this is what is. My son died. My brother died. I lost my twins. I lost my daughter. My son got hit by a car. These things happened. There's not a way for me to change them. So my only hope is to choose how I respond to them. And the greatest miracle has been choosing to respond to them hand in hand with God. And I hope that that modeling for my children teaches them to do the same because that is where growth um, and ultimately joy comes from. They will be richly blessed by your example, no doubt. And I know tens of thousands of people are blessed by how you have chosen to respond. Now, at the, the Women with Fire, we do talk a lot with these women about what we call, in quotes, kind of their quest. What's their mm. either big idea? Sometimes we're compelled to quest. Sometimes we choose to quest all these different things. And part of that quest process that is that we are always provided a guide of some kind. 
And can you recognize that guide? And often it's divine. It can be a divine guide, but you know, actually more often it's a person. And I have been so impressed over the years of you and your sweet husband and the partnership that you have created here. And I know I have seen, you know, even in my close family, how these kinds of experiences can tear marriages apart and, and tear, um, you know, a belief in each other and the ability to grieve together. Like what, what has this done for you as a marriage? Like what's the secret, Natalie? What's the secret there? The secret will always be conscious effort and self-awareness. Um, we knew it would be hard. We knew it would be hard. And when our son died, we committed to one another. I, I mean, truly, when he died, I don't just mean that in an abstract way. I mean, as he was laying on his hospital bed in his last moments, I was on a chair on one side of his bed. My, my husband was on a chair on the other side of his bed. It was the first time that we had been alone with him in that hospital room because there were constantly a thousand doctors and specialists and nurses. And in those quiet last moments, they left the room and they shut the curtain and it was just us. And we very literally held hands over our little boy and made very significant promises to one another. We knew what was coming for us because we'd experienced it with my brother. And I just remember saying, we have to choose right now not to let this break us because this can destroy us if we allow it to. And it was that, I, I'm going to go so far as to say covenant. We, we really, it was, it was a promise between the two of us and God that we would not allow this to destroy us, that we would give everything in our power, that we would both show up, that we would allow each other space to feel. I mean, these were very consciously decided upon ways of moving forward. And that has served us throughout the things that have come after as well. And then the idea of self-awareness, realizing the part that you play. I think that it's really easy when, when we're up against challenges to look for all the external problems. You know, if this would change, then it would be, I'd be able, I'd be able to do this. Or if this would change, I'd be able to do that. But the reality is the only one you're ever in charge of is you. The only one you are ever able, ever able to affect change in is you, period. It's you. And so that self-awareness to say, okay, maybe this isn't all my fault. Maybe this isn't all on me, but what part do I play and take total ownership for that? Because it is always a dance. It's not just them ever. It is always a choreographed dance and you're responding to one another, right? And if we can choose to use a coveyism here and be more proactive rather than reactive and say, how am I responsible here? Then I think that there's a significant shift. And that's, I think, what, what made all the difference for my husband and I was the commitment and the self-awareness. And through this experience, as you made these, you know, sacred covenants to each other when your little boy was passing, and you've had to probably repeat those same words on some of these other instances that have, that have happened, what do you do in the moments when the person you're with is failing? <laughs> or is unaware. I mean, that's the reality. Like you said, it's a dance. Let's just say it straight out loud. When the person you're with just sucks and they're horrible and they're awful and they are the worst. Right? I didn't know how to say it. I, I didn't know like how to say it. I feel like we're allowed to say that because I feel like all of us are nodding our heads right now. Like for real, what do you do when everybody else just sucks? <laughs> so what's the answer? <laughs> well, I, I'm first going to say that I really don't know because part of life is just being in really tough situations. But I think that 
that what has served Richie and I both, because if I'm being really honest, I think I've probably sucked a lot more than he has. Um, I we'll think have him up next. I, he's a lot, he's a lot more, he's more capable of, I, I feel all the feelings, right? All of the feelings. And he's more capable of feeling and then letting go and feeling and then letting go. And I'm just much more like got to swim in it, right? And it's our processing styles. So I'm not throwing it all on him. But I do think that something that will serve each of us and that has definitely served me is to remember that the way things are in this exact moment are not a fair representation of the way things are, period. Sometimes we go Brilliant. through a hard time and then we throw everything into that bucket that says everything is horrible. We horribleize our lives. We horribleize the relationship. We horribleize the person. But the reality is we're dealing with a very specific set of circumstances that have caused a very specific chain of events that have brought out a very specific way of being. And I think that if we can realize and give grace for and give love for that space and then have patience and remember that where we are right now isn't a fair representation of where we will always and forever be or where we have always and forever been. That helps a lot. The other thing that helps a lot is you do you. Continually being your best. You never have the excuse not to show up and do your best. Now, will your best sometimes be almost a joke? Yeah, because we're not all going to be at the top of our game every day. There were days in the early days and weeks and months and even years of grief where getting up and showering was heroic on my part. And there were days when that really was my best and then going right back to bed. But that was the best that I had and that was okay. But as long as at the end of every day you can say, did I do my best? And give yourself the grace to be honest, to say, you know what? I feel like I failed, but if I really look at it, this was my best. And as long as you keep showing up and doing your best, you're giving permission and space for the others in your life to do the same. You will never get the results you want by pounding on someone's head over and over and over again and say, change, 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 change. Be different, be different, be different, be different. That's just not going to work ever. But what does work is modeling, saying, I'm human, I'm frail, I'm valuable too. And I love me and it's okay for me and it's okay for you too. And I think that that is maybe the most inspiring thing that we can do and the greatest way that we can reach out and bless the lives of the people around us. And this is really the full circle question because as I, and this is a personal though, as I have followed you, those have been the words that have rang in my brain, rung in my brain, rang in my brain <laughs> over and over and it is to just show up. Mm-hmm. Sometimes that is just it. And to find the victories in that in ourselves, to find the victories in that in others, and more importantly, what it models for those yeah. that were around at the, and that were examples to. I just, that is so dear to my heart. And it seems like such a simple phrase, just show up and do your best and be honest with it, that yeah. there is such really power it's everything. in that. It is everything. Yeah. It is everything. Yeah. You know, it's actually interesting. And I, I know that we need to wrap up here soon. But earlier you were talking about the idea of guides, you know, showing up to help us in the different things that we may feel compelled to do or may feel inspired to do. And you were saying maybe they're not always divine. And I would actually push back on that a little bit and say that they absolutely are always divine because divinity lives within each of us. And I think that the idea of showing up is showing up for that divinity, Ultimately, at the base of everything, that's what the message is. It's that there is divinity in me, there is divinity in you. It is an inherent part of who you are. And again and again and again, it's unchanging. 
You can't get away from it. There's nothing you can do to opt in or out of it. It is just there always. And it is so all encompassing. And so if you're showing up in your life and doing the best you can, you feel compelled to go a certain way and a human being shows up for you. It is the divinity in you and the divinity in them recognizing a divine path upon which you are meant to travel together. And I think that if we give, um, pay respect and, 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 and give recognition to the divinity that is involved in all of those different situations, that is maybe the greatest way that we could ever opt into constantly having that communication and that line of direct contact with God open always in our, in our direct awareness. So you've just totally expanded my brain. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, wait a minute, we made the guides up and now I'm getting it even further. Absolutely. Absolutely. To recognize that it is always divine. It is. That is absolute truth. That rings true for me. And you are a wonder, Natalie, an absolute (laughs) wonder and such a force for good out there. And this is going to be one of those. We we have some of these podcast episodes that get downloaded because they just have to be repeated like nine or 10 times. I'm like, wait, I sat through this (laughs) and I'm going to be the one downloading and repeating like this was so powerful. And what I love is it wasn't about the photography business. And it wasn't about the entrepreneurship awesomeness that you pursue, you and her husband both pursue and the speaking and the counseling and like all those great things that you do. But it was it was the truth of what you've discovered in yourself and how you've been more real through the process. Well, maybe the the final message here then would be that ultimately none of it is about any of those things. It's all about the kind of human that we are and that we're becoming. And if you want to be a good photographer or a good designer or a good writer or whatever kind of creative endeavor or a good parent or a good anything, it comes down to the kind of human that you are and the kind of relationship that you are building between you and that divine light within you. And if that is where the focus lies, everything else will also flourish. Amazing, Natalie. Amazing. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us today and sharing your light. Thank you for having me. Hey, thanks for listening to the Women With Fire podcast. Your support means a lot to us. In fact, your support is what makes this podcast possible. If you want to connect more with the guests we've had on our podcast and connect more with Sarah and Michelle, the creators of the Women With Fire podcast, find us on Instagram at The Women With Fire or find us in our Facebook group. Simply search Women With Fire and join the group. We'll see you there.